what an incredible anthem that our God is greater, our God is stronger. Um, it's, it's a privilege to worship with you, to hear you singing, uh, to know that uh, the truths that you declare uh, resonate and um, you believe them and we know they make a difference. Uh, it's so good to see each and every one of you. I, I do want to welcome our online people again. Um, I know that it's hard uh, to be at home. Many of us were there just a few months ago, and it's hard to stay focused, and so we're glad you tune in each and every week. You're a part of our family, and we value you. Uh, I want you to ponder uh, a question with me. Just think about it with me, whether you're here or you're at home. Um, when was the last time you just really, really wanted something? Like it can be something, it can be a possession you can buy, something you can get at the store, it can be a relationship, it can be a change in your life, it can be some sort of transformation, but when was the last time you just really, really, really wanted something? And if it hasn't been recent, maybe you've been busy, maybe life's been crazy, uh, just think of a time in your life when you just really wanted something. Uh, again, there, there's, there's no rules to this. Uh, maybe if you're in junior high or high school, maybe it's some sort of uh, gadget or technological thing. Maybe it's an Xbox. Maybe you got your eyes on the PlayStation 5. Maybe, maybe you really, really, really want a girlfriend. Uh, you know, you know the, 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 the year's getting behind you and, and you've got spring to look out towards. Hopefully there's a prom and like you got to get working on this. Maybe you just really, 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 really want a sibling and so you're begging mom and dad, please, can you just have another kid? Maybe you really, really want your own child. Maybe you really, really want to get married. Like maybe you really, really want a promotion. Maybe you really, really want to be cured of a disease. Like, what is it that you really, 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 really want? For, for any of us, when we want something so much, there comes a moment when we also have to contemplate the cost, right? Uh, and sometimes that happens prior to getting that thing or engaging in that conversation or making that life change. And sometimes, unfortunately, we jump so fast into what we really, really want that we don't contemplate the cost, but inevitably we have to contemplate it at some point because uh, it shows itself. I think of pets, for example. Like, how many of us have had the conversation, either as a child or with children or a grandchild, and we see the cute, adorable dog, um, we think, oh man, wouldn't it be so great? That dog's so well-behaved. I want that dog to be in my home. I, I want it to crawl up on my lap. I want it to go on my jogs with me and my, my runs with me. And oh, I just really, 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 really want that dog. And then we start, hopefully, before we get the dog, researching, oh wait, uh, it's gonna cost me something. Like there's vet bills and there's food and uh, then I'm gonna vacuum my house a whole lot more. Do I even have a vacuum? Like that's a question people need to answer, right? Um, you know, uh, what's the long-term cost? What about the affection that builds between me and this pet? And then one day, Rover's gonna get hit by a car, Rover's gonna die, and then I have to deal with all the grief associated. Like there's a cost that comes with owning a pet. And if we're wise, we contemplate a lot of that cost ahead of time, and then we contemplate some of it along the way as it becomes more apparent, and uh, many people just, they jump in. They're like, hey, I'll pay the cost. They really, really want it, and they believe that the reward is greater than the cost. Uh, it happens with the relationships. We think sometimes, uh, going back to high school and college, I really, really want a boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, you gotta contemplate the cost. Like Valentine's Day is coming. Should I wait to ask them until after that? So it saves me a little bit of money, right? Do I, do I really wanna give up my time hanging out with my friends, playing my Xbox, and hang out? I mean, there's, there's cost we have to consider. 
It happens with education, college, trade school. It happens with hobbies. It happens with uh, sports that we're trying to learn. Are we willing to pay the cost? If we, I really, really, really want that state title, and am I willing to put in the work? Am I going to go to the gym every day? Am I going to run every day? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? What's the cost? So think about something you really, really wanted. When did you come to realize the cost of that? Did you do the research ahead of time and say, hey, wait a second. Like, I like the idea of being a CrossFit athlete, but uh, I saw what they have to do each day. I saw what the workouts of the day are. I saw that it's like hours of exercise. It's a diet change. Like, uh, no, thank you. Uh, or, or, or did you get into it and realize the cost? How often do we think about our faith in that, that way? Do, do, we, do we think, about, I really, really want this, this close relationship with my creator. I, I really, really want to see things as God sees them. I really, really want to experience life as the God who made me, formed me, and fashioned me to experience that life. But what's the cost? What does it mean to truly align my life with him? And those are questions I hope you'll find answers to today. As we journey through Luke's gospel, we're coming to this point of transition today. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. As Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem, something happens here. Uh, in, in the previous sections, as Luke talks to us about, about what Jesus is doing, he's challenging religious leaders. Uh, time and time again, he confronts them. Why? Because these religious leaders have been teaching Israel, they've been teaching God's people, this is what it looks like to honor God, this is what it looks like to follow him. And so Jesus is challenging, saying, no, this is not what it looks like, this is not what honors God, this is not what pleases him, this is not who you should be like. And here he makes a transition to showing us, okay, this is not what it looks like, but this is what it does look like. And in the verses today in, in, in Luke 14, 25 through 33, I will warn you, are some of the most polarizing, uh, we might even say abrasive, uh, words of Jesus. In fact, they're so polarizing and abrasive to people who live in a democracy that prize their personal freedom in ruling their own lives that within the American church, we often gloss over them or we try to explain that they don't really mean what it sounds like they mean. So if you have your Bibles, maybe you're following along in the Luke journals, uh, find Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 25 to 33. In verse 25, here's how Luke describes what's happening. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Uh, for those of you that haven't been on this journey with us at Lebanon Christian Church all years, we're studying through Luke uh, we have pointed out that time and time again, uh, Luke mentions the crowd. It's a common thing. He mentions God's love for outsiders. He, he shows God's concern for those who are hurting and disadvantaged. Uh, he, he also shows how great crowds were interested in Jesus. And at each point, we highlight the reason why. Jesus was intriguing, like I thought about how do I, how do I help you um, kind of associate this? And, and I'm not going to equate these two individuals, but I'm gonna equate kind of the circumstances surrounding them. In 2016, when uh, Donald Trump was running for president, no matter how you felt about Donald Trump, most of us were interested. Why? 
Because the way he campaigned and the way he ran for office and how he handled himself in different situations was unlike really what we had seen in a presidential campaign before. And so even if you uh, didn't like him or if you really did like him, like there were a lot of people interested in, in, in Donald Trump. There's a lot of things to be fascinated about. And we're probably seeing some of those same things even today. Jesus was similar. Again, Jesus and Donald Trump are not equal to each other. But people are fascinated with Jesus and crowds follow him for similar reasons. Like he does things like no one else has done them. Like he teaches in ways that no one else has taught. Time and time again, we hear Jesus uh, start to say, you heard it was said, but I tell you. When we hear that statement, Jesus is saying, listen, this is the tradition This is how people have taught on this Old Testament passage or on this word from God. But I tell you, it's different than that. He's changing it. And it was so unique that people are like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, You add to that not only his teaching, but how he treated people. In a day where people wouldn't come close to the disease, like lepers, Jesus draws close. He touches them. When, when people are hurting, he's near, he has time, he pauses in the marketplace. When, when a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years comes up to him and grabs his cloak, he's got time for them. He raises people to life, he walks on water, he calms the storms. Hello, had anybody at this point in time taken a crowd of 5,000 men, not counting women and children, as the gospels tell us, and fed them with just a few pieces of bread and a few fish? No, people are interested by Jesus and for good reason. He's doing things that are just completely different than what they've seen. And so large crowds follow Jesus. He intrigues them. In fact, the way he teaches fascinates them. The way he treats people encourages them. When they see demon-possessed people freed, there's something in them that resonates with the peace that comes upon those people. So people are interested in Jesus. And every time Luke emphasizes the crowd, he he, he parallels that with Jesus teaching some sort of strong word. And the hope is that Jesus wants people to say, it's not just about being interested in me, but it's about being invested in me. It's not just being interested in who I am and the, the cool things I do and what I stand for, but it's about being invested in my mission. And so Jesus issues strong words and he teaches on strong things and say, listen, if you're gonna follow me, this is what I'm really all about. He wants them to move from being interested to being invested and engaged in his mission. And that happens here and, and it's one of the most polarizing um, group of words that Jesus shares with a large crowd. And again, I just wanna warn you up front, they, they're gonna sound abrasive to you. When we start to dive into them, they're just gonna be like, wait a second, does Jesus really say that? Is that really what he stands for? I thought he just liked to let puppies up on his lap and let them lick him in the face and like do kind of, like, is this really who Jesus is? And the answer is, is yes. But before we get there, I want you to consider for yourself, when you think about Jesus and what you've heard about him and what he stands for and what you've heard taught about him, what you've read for yourself in the gospels, Are you someone who probably is more interested in Jesus than invested? Are you prepared to take that journey of being invested and engaged in the life that Jesus has? Where are you? Look at Jesus' words, verse 26. If anyone comes to me, again, this great crowd, they're excited. Jesus is doing incredible things. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, 
and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Just make sure we're including everybody here. Uh, Substitute the female pronouns. If anyone comes to me and does not hate her own father and mother and wife and children and brothers, oh, sorry, and husband and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even her own life, she cannot be um, my disciple. Those are hard words, right? Doesn't something uh, bristle a little bit? Like, is Jesus really saying hate? Like, did that come out of his mouth? Like, I know Jesus says love, like, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. But did Jesus really just say hate? And if when Jesus says hate, it means what I think hate means, then, then if we're honest, in our culture today, we're ready to cancel Jesus, right? You can't hate people. So does Jesus really mean hate? Uh, the answer is not gonna satisfy you initially. The answer is both yes and no. No in the sense that when we typically imagine hate, we start with our context, what we know, how we've lived, and what's our understanding of hate. It's that we have a deep disdain or we're absolutely opposed to someone. Uh, Here's how I think it was my mom who taught me this as a kid. That's who I'll give credit to. And if she watches this or mom, if you're watching this, I'm sorry if it wasn't you. Um, But some adult I trusted in my life told me that hate essentially meant to wish that someone was dead. Um, I had a conversation with another friend this week that's about my age, and I told them that that's what I was taught, and, and they said, yep, that's what I was taught too. Anybody else taught that, that to hate someone is to kind of think that they should be dead? Yeah, a few of you. So that's where we start, right? I, I, I'm completely opposed to this person. There's no place for them in my life. That's where we start with hate. Here's the problem when we only read the word of God through our cultural lens. We'll mess a lot of things up. Here's the truth when it comes to understanding scripture is we wanna really understand what God's communicating through the word. We have to get back to what it meant. Here's a principle in understanding the word of God. The word of God can never mean what it never meant. It's important where it was first shared. And so we go back and we say, okay, not what does hate mean to me, but, but what would this concept mean? Why would Jesus use this idea of hate? And that opens up a whole world for us because in the Jewish context of Jesus, Hate was used differently. It wasn't about absolute disdain for another person. It wasn't wishing that they were dead. It had to do with showing preference for something else. To give you an idea, in in Malachi's prophecy, um, God's speaking through the prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter one, and he says these words. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. So the words of God's spirit through the prophet, so God is saying this, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. He's referring to these two uh, uh, children born uh, in Genesis. And he says, Jacob I have loved, uh, Esau I have hated. Is God saying that he wishes that Esau had never been born? That he wishes that Esau was dead? He's completely opposed to Esau. No. If we go back to the Genesis account, what do we see? Esau is born first. Jacob comes clasping at the heel. Jacob tricks his brother Esau into receiving his birthright that was due him in the culture of that time. And, and, and so he gets to be the blessed child. So that blessing results in his name being changed to Israel and God works his story through the people that come from Jacob's line, from Israel's line, that ultimately brings us Jesus. So 
Jacob I have loved. He's the one I'm going to prefer and work through, whereas Esau, I'm not going to work in the same way. It's a term of preference rather than disdain. And so when Jesus uses the term, you need to hate mom, dad, sister, brothers, husband, wife, even your own life. He's saying, compared to how you prefer me, compared to the priority you put on me, uh, you need to like these things that much less. It's a, it's a comparison, it's a contrast, it's a way of explaining how much more they are to prefer and prioritize Jesus. It's still a hard word. Jesus meant every bit of what hate meant in his context. He knew that following him would be hard for people. Now this is, this is hard for us to grasp. We're, we're coming through a season and it is changing and it's not as true as it once was, but America used to be looked at as being kind of a Christian nation. The cultural Christianity was kind of a characterization of our country. And so in that context, for many of us, if we chose to follow Jesus and we, chose, we, we, we told our parents or, or we told our siblings, even if they didn't believe what we believed, oftentimes they wouldn't give us a hard time. Now, now, that may be true in some of your lives, but it wasn't the, what happened the majority of the time. Contrast that with what happens in our world when it comes to uh, people in Muslim nations who convert to Christianity. Well, we, we support a mission at Lebanon Christian Church called TCM. Uh, their whole mission is to go into uh, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, now into the parts of Africa, to make disciples throughout the world. And, and through our work with TCM, we've been introduced to people in primarily Muslim nations who have decided to follow Jesus. And what happens? They're completely cut off from their families, uh, kind of like being disowned from mom and dad and siblings. To prefer Jesus, to prioritize Jesus is a huge cost. And I think it's gonna get more like that in the United States of America Maybe you're experiencing that more. Um, I go back to my first years as a minister and you could go places and ministers were looked at as being um, people you wanted to have around. You wanted them to pray at your Rotary Club. You wanted them to be there. And, and, and a lot of times people don't want us anywhere near them. It used to be something that was you wanted to coach a baseball team and you said, hey, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, 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 you're a good man. You can do this. And it doesn't work that way as much anymore. I think it'll bring with it a season of saying it costs to prefer Jesus. What Jesus is getting at here is that you're interested in me. Uh, you're fascinated by my miracles. Uh, you like the fact that lame men walk and blind men see and dead men rise and winds and waves are calmed. And, and you love the way I rebuke the Pharisees and you like the new words I'm teaching you. You like the peace that comes upon the demon possessed. But do you really wanna follow me? Do you really want to prioritize me and give me preference over everything else? Do you want me to come first in your life over and above family, over and above work, over and above anything else? And that's a hard question. Do we want to be interested or move to being invested and engaged? And look at the few words that follow at the end of verse 26. He says, unless you're willing to prefer him over all the others, you cannot be my disciple. Three times in these short verses, 25 to 33, Jesus issues that same statement. You cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to do these things. Uh, that makes that word disciple pretty important. Do you know what it means? It means to be someone who is learning from, being coached by, being trained by another. 
The word disciple is translated from the Greek word here, mathetes, which means that your whole life is, is spent learning and being shaped by another's way of living. You want to learn, you want to be coached, you want to be trained to be like someone else. That's what it means to be a disciple. It was common in Jesus' day. People would learn, they'd be trained, they'd be coached to try to become their whole life shaped to be like the one who was pouring into them and investing in them. And so it makes sense that Jesus would say, you can't be someone who looks like me, who walks like me, who believes like me, unless you're willing to prefer my way uh, above all the others. Uh, Disciple is a word that I'm so thankful is making a comeback. If you've been around the church, uh, participated in church settings like this for a number of years, uh, disciple was a word that was lost for a long time. We preferred a different word. That word was Christian. We talked a lot about what it meant to be a Christian, but the problem is that Christian doesn't carry with it the same connotation, the same meaning as the word disciple. In fact, it's not, it doesn't have the same weight even biblically. Three times in the whole of the New Testament do we find the word Christian. Three times, that's it, three times. Do you know how many times the word disciple occurs? 270. 270 times we learn about what it looks like and what it means to be a disciple. It's someone who is coached by, trained by, guided by Jesus to reflect him, to have their whole life shaped to be like him. And we can't do that unless we prefer him and we prioritize him above everything else. He's not just the add-on, the end of a prayer in Jesus' name. He's not just when we cry out to in trouble, although he's there. Our whole life is shaped by him. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Listen, if that word's not hard enough, look at verse 27. It's just, he just keeps showing how strong of a commitment this is. Whoever does not, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We kind of sit in a place of advantage here because as we look back, we ultimately know that Jesus went and he died on a cross. To these first hearers, Jesus hasn't died yet. And so all they can bring to mind is not Jesus on a cross. All they can bring to mind is criminal after criminal after criminal who they've seen executed in the Roman Empire um, by way of the cross. To them, the cross meant only one thing. It didn't mean hope like it means for us. It didn't mean a, a chance to have a new beginning. It simply meant death. And so to bear a cross was to make a journey of death. When someone held a cross and they made their way to the place where they would be crucified, they weren't coming back. It was the end. They were dying. It was a journey of death. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to bear your cross. You're going to have to take a journey of death. What's going to have to die? My own selfish desires. What's going to have to die? My own wants my own wishes, my ambitions. Why? So that Jesus can reign, so that he can be king over my life. And and, and unless we're willing to move from being interested and being fascinated by Jesus to making him a priority, be willing to let the old self die, our selfish desires, our wants, our dreams, and allow him to rule and reign, we won't experience what it really means to be a disciple. And those words are hard for us If we're just honest, and this is not an indictment, this is not, I'm not punching you, like this is just for me too. We've grown up our whole lives hearing about how free we are, how no one can tell us what to do. We have our rights, right? 
And to be told, listen, I need to submit to the authority and the leadership and the reign of a different king, that's hard. Because that means somebody else gets to tell me what to do. And, and nobody tells me what to do, right? It's kind of our motto. But that's who Jesus is. Jesus is a king who rules and he reigns. We love the word Christ, right? We love the word Messiah. But do you realize that those words are royal terms? They speak of God's anointed king. Jesus is a king and he rules a kingdom that is absolute just. It is absolute mercy. It is absolute good. But it is a kingdom that requires submission and that's hard. What Jesus is describing here both for those then and for us now is that some of the key principles of God's kingdom are submission, their sacrifice, and their surrender. And we have an aversion to those things. We don't like those things. That's who Jesus is. He's a king and he has a kingdom. And by the way, if I can just jump on kind of a side note for a moment, this is why we will never find a candidate running for office that can completely satisfy the life that we crave for. Because there's only one king that can give us everything that we need, and that's him. In, 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 in America, why have we struggled to get this? Why have we struggled to get this in Lebanon, Indiana, in Boone County, Indiana? Because I think in some ways, all of us have been to a certain degree just kind of tricked by cultural Christianity. Things were easy for a while, right? Uh, being a Christian was, it was, it was, it was, was a thing that gave you kind of an extra mark on your resume. And, and because of that, it just kind of became easy to identify as a Christian without really contemplating what did it really look like to be a disciple of Jesus. And now we're realizing that, that Jesus wants us to go all in, which we should have realized all along. Here's some of the dangers of growing up in a world where cultural Christianity reigns is that we, we underestimate the commitment of what it means to follow Jesus and we overemphasize the rescue and the eternal reward. Now, don't hear me say the rescue from sin is absolutely a part of who Jesus is. It's an absolute part of who Jesus is. He frees us. Sin hurts us. The rebellion uh, it hurts us and he rescues us from that. Yes, there's coming a day when there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth and there is hope and there's no more grieving and there's no more crying, but we have overemphasized those to the point of underemphasizing commitment. Salvation and following Jesus is not just about what we're saved from, but also what we're saved to. And we're saved to a life of living for Jesus, like Jesus now, that will transform the world and quite honestly, it will look ridiculous to a lot of people. I want to show you this table. Um, this is not my own. It comes to us from discipleship.org. Um, uh, the leader of that organization, Bobby Harrington, has put this together in his book, Trust and Follow Jesus, but I just thought it was really helpful to me. What's the difference between being interested, which I'll call cultural Christianity, and being a biblical disciple, which will be called being invested and engaged? For a cultural Christian, uh, we, we like the things of Jesus being a part of our life. For the biblical disciple, uh, he's at the center of our life. Catch the difference there. For a cultural Christian, um, I'm still at the center. I like, I like Jesus kind of being on the fringes and kind of being around me, and when it's convenient, I'll take what I want from him, right? But for the biblical disciple, who's, who's at the center? Jesus, and my life is shaped around him. He's the center, for the cultural Christian, the interested, I have a life and Jesus inhabits parts of it, 
But for the biblical disciple, I form my life around Jesus. For the cultural Christian, I believe that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher. I don't have to believe everything that he said though, right? But for a biblical disciple, I believe Jesus is Savior and Lord. I trust and follow him daily. I pray to God asking for his guidance. He doesn't save me because I'm simply human and I mess up. No, he saves me because of Jesus and what he represents. We realize that Jesus shows and reveals to us what our lives should look like as men and women created in the image of God. And so I will sell out everything to be shaped and made and to prefer Jesus above all else. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a desperate call and a desperate cry for us to be more excited about being disciples than simply being Christians. Will you choose to prefer him above everything else? Just, just, just start running through an inventory of your life. Start praying to God, saying, God, where are you not a priority? What parts of your life have I locked away? What, where am I not pre- preferring you and prioritizing you? Show me that and give me the strength through the power of your spirit. He doesn't leave us on our own to do it by ourselves. Help me become a disciple. Help me to follow you. That's how we move from interested to being invested. Here's a warning, though. Some of you are only going to hear, I just need to do more for God to love me more. That's not what I'm articulating. This is not about earning God's favor. This is about responding to the favor that God's already given to us. In May, I got a phone call from my parents. My dad, who is now 66 years old, needed to re-roof the mini barn on their property. And I don't remember if the call came from my mom or my dad, but they said, hey, would you be willing to come help? And so... Uh, our boys and myself, uh, we drove down there and we, we helped my dad roof the building. I can tell you that never once when my mom or dad called me was my first thought when I heard the request, you know what, I'm gonna go help them so maybe they'll give me something. Maybe they'll just love me more. Maybe I'll become their favorite son. There's a long way to go to get there. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> no, my, my first thought was, my mom and dad have done so much for me. Like, I'll be there Sign me up, I'll help. Not to earn favor, but because of what they've already given. I I don't wanna prefer Jesus above all else that God loves me more. No, I look at what he's done for me. When I test out the ways of Jesus, guess what? They work. Guess what? There's peace that passes understanding. Guess what? There's hope. Guess what? There's joy. And so I wanna keep living for him and preferring him because his way is best. It's not to earn his favor, Here's something else that I wanna point out is that some of you are probably thinking, hey, wait a second, if it costs this much, is it really worth it? And all I'll leave you with are two stories that Jesus tells. He said there was a man who found a pearl of incomparable value, a pearl of great price. And when he found it, he sold everything to get that one pearl. He tells another story. He says there was a man, he was traveling, he found a treasure buried in a field and as soon as he found it, he went and he sold all that he had to buy that one field with that treasure. It's worth it. And it's not just the stories of Jesus, it's the people that have gone before us. Paul, who had all the notoriety he could ever want as a Pharisee, writes these words at the end of his letter to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but he lives in me. I'll give it all up for him. My challenge to you, and the challenge I have to give myself is will I prefer him above all else? Will I be a disciple of Jesus? And that's the challenge for you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for inviting us to learn from you. 
inviting us to follow you. And God, may we choose to prefer you and make you a priority and show us what that looks like in, in, in the varied nuances of our days, in our relationships, in our careers, in our families. Teach us to prefer you with our time, with our money, with our words, with our actions. And God, as we follow you and we're made as disciples in you, may we help other people follow you. May we be disciples who make disciples and fulfill your great commission. We trust you, Lord. Teach us how. In your name we pray, amen.